Welcome to Every Moment His. This season, we will be listening to Head Heart's Habits, written and read by Pastor John Rasmussen. Head Heart Habits, Chapter 2. Chapter 2, Living in Love, The Commandments. Every healthy relationship has boundaries. These boundaries reflect what we value. For example, loving parents place boundaries on what their children can and cannot do because they value their well-being. When a mother says to her son, you can't play in the street, this boundary isn't cruel or unreasonable. It reflects the value she places on her son's life. The same is true with God's commandments. Some people bristle at the idea of God giving us rules, laws, and commandments. Since our culture values individual freedom and self-expression above all else, we may interpret thou shall and thou shall not as a burden rather than a blessing. However, God's commandments are not meant to burden us or hinder our freedom. Rather, they reflect what God values in his relationship with us and our relationship with others. Each commandment is a loving boundary that reflects his loving, generous heart. So, what does God value? And how do these values translate into boundaries? Well, first, God values himself. This means we are called to worship him alone. Our highest affections belong to him and not another. Some may claim that God's insistence on being the center of everything is self-centered. But just as the sun is the center of the solar system, God is the unapologetic center of everything, around whom all things orbit in unending worship, praise, and glory. From him and through him and to him are all things, Romans 11.36. And in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28. Since God is at the center of everything, he places a boundary on our worship. He calls us to worship him alone and to love him with undivided heart, soul, and strength. Deuteronomy 6.5 Of course, God does not need our worship and love. He is completely complete apart from us. However, human beings find their highest dignity in bowing before him in adoration. In fact, this is what it means to live a fully human existence. God also values you. And not just you, but also your neighbor, and yes, even that neighbor you don't care for much. Human beings are created in God's image and likeness and therefore possess innate dignity, worth, and value. Since God values you and your neighbor, he calls you to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Leviticus 19.18 To harm your neighbor in word or deed, or even to harbor hatred in your heart, toward another human being is to transgress God's boundary of love for those he loves. Love God, love others. Jesus sums up God's boundary with one simple word, love. When asked what the most important commandment is, Jesus summarized God's law with one word applied in two directions. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Mark 12, 28-30 God's boundaries are simple. Love God, love people. This sounds simple enough. However, humanity's fall into sin creates a wide gap between ideal and reality. In this life, we can't keep a single commandment perfectly. In fact, apart from God working in our hearts, we don't want to love God or love others unless doing so benefits us. We may even redefine love on our own terms to avoid loving God and our neighbor on God's terms. Because sin has clouded our sense of right and wrong, God has spelled out in detail what we should know in our hearts, but often subdue, ignore, or make excuses for. In the Ten Commandments, God reveals with clarity what it means to love God and love our neighbor. Loving what God loves, the Ten Commandments. Scripture teaches that God has written his commandments on our hearts, Romans 2.15. Human beings instinctively know God exists and that he holds us to certain standards. Yet, like trying to push a beach ball underwater, human beings suppress this knowledge. The law written on our hearts wears thin, and so in love, God spells out his boundaries for us in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are first and foremost a gift. God gave them to his people Israel after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. See Exodus chapters 3 through 13 for the story and Exodus 20 for the giving of the commandments. Each commandment invites God's people to respond to his generous love with love for God and love for neighbor. They reflect God's design for human beings. The commandments also reflect the two directions of our love, love for God in commandments 1 through 3, and love for our neighbor in commandments 4 through 10. As we briefly explore each commandment, we'll see what it means to love God and love others. Additionally, we'll see how each commandment is a good boundary given by God to preserve what he values most. Loving God, Commandments 1 through 3. Boundary number 1. You shall have no other gods. God values his glory and our good. He is at the center of everything, and we only function properly when we orbit around him in fear, love, and trust. He sets a boundary on our affections, calling us to find our identity, security, and meaning in him alone. In the ancient world, people often broke this boundary by worshiping idols. In our day, we still worship idols. They just look different. Things like money, sex, power, status, reputation, our smartphones, or social media. None of these things are bad. In fact, these are all good gifts from God. However, we break God's boundary when we trust and love these things above God. When something or someone else holds our highest affections, chaos and pain inevitably follow. In fact, we end up breaking God's other nine boundaries in an effort to scratch the itch created by our idols. Boundary number two, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God values his holy name, Yahweh in Hebrew, which comes from the Hebrew verb to be. He guards the integrity of his name and his character. 
So he sets a boundary around how we use his name. We are never to mix his name with the names of other gods or the practices of other religions. In the Old Testament, this meant never mixing God's name with the names of popular deities like Baal, Ashtoreth, or Chemosh. Today, this means never confusing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with terms like the universe or a generic higher power, or thinking Jesus Christ is interchangeable with Buddha, Muhammad, or other religious figures. This does not mean that we should avoid using God's name. Rather, his name should be the object of our love and trust as we honor it with prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Boundary number three, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The book of Genesis narrates the creation of the world within the framework of six days. On the seventh day, God rested. More literally, he paused from his work of creation. From this framework, God invites us into a pattern of work and rest. We exert mental and physical energy as we partner with God as caretakers of his world. And when we pause to rest, taking time to enjoy his creation and his presence in worship, we practice Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God's people observed a full day from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. This day was called the Sabbath. Ever since Jesus was raised from the dead Sunday morning, Christians have usually gathered for rest and worship on Sundays. This does not mean that Christians are bound to a specific day. What's important is that we have a regular rhythm of rest and renewal in God's word in which we cease from our work so he can work in us. Since God values our well-being and our joy in him, he sets a boundary so we will not overwork ourselves or get out of focus. And by doing so, he keeps our idolatry in check. Loving Others, Commandments 4 through 10. Boundary number four, honor your father and your mother. This commandment deals with the love and respect we owe to the authorities in our lives. We may not like the word authority much. We see plenty of instances where authority is abused, and perhaps we have experienced such abuse ourselves. Nevertheless, we can't live without the authority of parents, teachers, police officers, judges, and governing officials. Since God values our dignity, and since our dignity is best preserved through the structure and order of family and society, God places boundaries around how we interact with these authorities. We are to give them respect and honor. This does not mean that we excuse abuse or injustices. On the contrary, we uphold the dignity of positions of authority by holding them accountable to a high standard. Boundary number five, you shall not murder. God values the life of every human being. To guard the dignity of the image of God in each person, God sets a boundary of protection around every human life. This boundary extends to all people, regardless of their stage of development, born or unborn, their race, status in society, or abilities. 
This boundary isn't limited to how we might harm our neighbor in his body, but also extends to the way we may fail to help our neighbor's physical needs. In fact, this commandment even extends to the way we speak and think about our neighbor. See Matthew 5, 21 through 26, and 1 John 3, 15. Anything that violates the dignity of our neighbor in thought, word, or deed violates God's boundary of love for others. Boundary number six, you shall not commit adultery. God values us being created as male and female, the goodness of sexuality, commitment, and the care of children within a stable home. To guard such good things, God gives us the boundary of marriage. While opinions on marriage have changed in recent decades, God's definition of marriage is rooted in his purposes for the lifetime commitment of one man and one woman. In this union, God provides a stable place for children to thrive. He also gives us a picture of the greatest love story ever, the marriage of Jesus Christ and his people, the church. See Ephesians 5, 22-23. Since God values marriage so highly, any sexual encounter outside of marriage breaks the boundary he created to guard its dignity. Keep in mind, however, that Christians do not have a negative view of sex. Rather, we have the highest, most positive view of this union. Unlike popular culture, we see sex as a gift from God rather than a God. And the greater the gift, the greater the boundaries. Boundary number seven, you shall not steal. God values our hard work and rewards our labor. He sets a boundary around the reward for our work, not allowing us to cut corners by stealing or cheating. In fact, he calls us to work hard to preserve and improve the income and possessions of others. Boundary number eight, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Just as God values the reputation of his name in the second commandment, he also values the reputation of those created in his image. He sets a boundary around the way we speak about one another. He prohibits us from trashing the reputation of our neighbor through lying, gossiping, or sharing information that is unfair or unhelpful. He calls us to live in love by only speaking what is true, kind, and helpful. Boundary number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Whereas commandments two through eight deal primarily with outward actions, commandments nine and 10 are much like the first commandment in that they deal with the heart. God values our hearts being content in him alone and what he has given. And so he places a boundary around our affections. He prohibits us from coveting, which is an intense desire to have something or someone that God has not promised a desire that leads us into idolatry and the outward breaking of the other commandments. God knows that when our desires are out of order, we are on a collision course with adultery, stealing, lying, and cheating. Out of love for us and others, he reigns in our affections and recenters them on himself. Boundary number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, 
or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This commandment is similar to the previous. However, it deals specifically with relationships, whereas the ninth commandment deals with material possessions. How the commandments impact the heart, diagnosis and delight. We've covered the basics of what the commandments teach. Now we assess how they impact our hearts. The commandments impact our hearts in two ways. They diagnose the condition of our hearts. And for those who experience a heart change through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, they become a source of delight. Heart Diagnosis God's commandments reveal to us His heart, what He values. But do we share the same values? We may say that we do, but our thoughts, words, and actions often reveal that our values conflict with God's values. We may say we believe in one God, but our hearts are a tangled mess of idols and other affections that compete with the love and trust that God deserves first. We may agree that God's name is sacred, but then we use it more as a swear word than a saving refuge, or we drag his name through the mud of our own self-interest and agendas. We may agree that God's word and worship are central, but our busy, crowded schedules reveal that we're bored, distracted, or disinterested in holy things. We may pay respect to our parents and other authorities in principle, but then we speak or act in ways that betray such respect. We may agree that all life is a gift from God, but then speak, act, and harbor attitudes that show disrespect and even contempt for the image of God and others. We may say that sex should come with boundaries, but then transgress those boundaries by breaking marriage vows, making our own boundaries, or doing in secret what we condemn in public. We may agree that stealing is bad, but then cut corners, act dishonestly, or waste resources when it's in our best interest and no one else knows. We may admit that gossip is bad, but our hearts secretly delight in hearing the worst about others, and we often have a hard time hearing the best. We may know in our heads that our hearts are only at rest when they rest in God alone but then we can't help but hunger for the newest, latest, and greatest material item or even the excitement of a relationship beyond the boundaries of God's blessing. If our hearts are sensitive to the reality of God's commandments, we'll admit that they do not reveal how good we are, but rather how broken we are. The commandments do not reveal our spiritual health. On the contrary, each of God's commandments diagnose our true heart condition. When our doctor diagnoses us with a life-threatening medical condition, uh, we have a few options. We can argue with his diagnosis and ignore his recommended treatment. We can assume that we're beyond help, throw our hands up and say, well, I guess this is the end. In extreme cases, we could also attempt to treat our condition with our own skill and wisdom. Go ahead and Google DIY surgery. Would you really want to remove your own appendix? The safest option, however, would be to entrust yourself to the care of your doctor. When God's commandments diagnose our heart condition, the diagnosis is terminal and universal. 
Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. We can respond to this diagnosis in a number of ways. We can argue with God about what's right and wrong, but his truth remains true regardless of our opinions. We can shift the blame or point the finger at others, but God does not grade on a curve. We can jump on the good works treadmill and try to appease God in our conscience through our moral efforts, but scripture tells us that the law only increases our awareness of how broken we are, Romans 3, 19 through 20, and that no human being will be made right with God by trying hard enough, Romans 3, 20. In other words, Working our way toward getting right with God is like performing self-surgery. We will end up worse off than before. However, we can entrust ourselves into the hand of a good doctor. Jesus Christ is called the good physician, who came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Mark 2, 15 through 17. Jesus Christ lived, suffered, died, and rose again, so that all who come to terms with their diagnosis would embrace his deliverance. God only shows us the reality of our sin so that we might receive the greater reality of our Savior who gave himself on the cross to forgive our sins and give us the gift of a new heart. Heart Delight While God's commandments cannot save us, we are saved to keep them. When God gives us the gift of a new heart, the boundaries that were once burdensome begin to make sense to us. We learn to trust that God never gives us a commandment to harm us, but rather to guard and protect us. With our trust centered on the kindness of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, we begin to delight in keeping God's laws. As the Holy Spirit works in us both the willingness and the ability to love what God loves, we experience true freedom, the kind of freedom a musician experiences when she submits herself to practicing scales or, or that an athlete experiences through sustained practice of his technique. Nevertheless, we struggle in this life. Christians are redeemed, but not yet fully restored. We are works in progress. And so in this life, we never fully delight in God's laws or stay completely within their boundaries. But still, his love for us remains steady as we stumble and fall. Like a loving father who holds his daughter's hands as she learns to walk, God holds on to us, even delighting in us when we don't delight in him. The same love that loved us when we were weak, sin-sick enemies of God, Romans 5.8, is the same love that will love us all the way to the end. At the end, on the last day, God's people will be raised with Christ to perfection. On that day, we will perfectly delight in him alone. How the commandments impact our habits. God's commandments impact our daily habits in three ways. First, study. The more we study God's character and commandments in the scriptures, the more we'll understand his values and boundaries. When we study his commandments with humility and faith, they gradually shape our hearts and minds. Above all, we study God's commandments from the perspective of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Since his saving love alone can change our hearts to love what God loves, we find motivation to keep God's law by growing in the love of the one who saved us from the consequences of breaking God's law. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 Second, prayer and practice. Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15.5 The more we learn God's commandments, the more we see how weak we are. This sense of our own weakness leads us to the daily habit of prayer for God's assistance. We express our dependence on his grace alone to keep us in the path of God's commandments. Having asked for his help, we practice keeping them in the trenches of daily life. Third, self-examination and confession. The scriptures tell us, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 8-9 A critical habit of the Christian life is to daily examine our thoughts, words, and actions, and confess to God where we have broken his boundaries. As works in progress, we come to him in humility, knowing that we sin much and that we are always in need of his mercy. Thankfully, God has dealt with our sins once and for all through the cross of his Son. When we come to him, he will never cast us away. John 6.37 We can daily admit to him the worst about ourselves, knowing that he will always give us his best, his pardon for our failures, his healing presence for the wounds that we've inflicted on ourselves and others, and his mighty power to make us more like Christ. As we learn to love what God loves, our lives become a constant cycle of study, pray, practice. Fail, repent, receive forgiveness, and repeat. In the mixture of struggle, weakness, and victory, God is at work in us, making us more and more like our Savior. Romans 8:29 Connecting head heart and habits The commandments show us God's design for living as human beings created in his image. They also diagnose us as broken sinful people in need of God's saving intervention. As you reflect on what you've learned, take some time to answer the following questions. Head What are some things that you value the most? Share some rules you keep or expect others to keep to protect what you value. Reflecting on this chapter, what does God value? How does the commandment against murder go beyond just taking someone's life? In your experience, would you say Christians have communicated a positive or a negative view of sex? Explain. Reflecting on this chapter, how would God define freedom? How do human beings often define freedom? Is there a difference? Heart. Describe a time when you put your hope in something other than God and experienced disappointment. 
Describe what the world would look like if everyone kept all of God's commandments all the time. Reflecting on the descriptions of each commandment in this chapter, are there any aspects of God's law that you hesitate to fully accept? And if so, why? Do you agree with the diagnosis of God's commandments in your life? Namely, that you have broken God's commandments and stand in need of his mercy? Why or why not? Using the scale below, where do you place your hope for eternal life? One, my good works, or seven, God's grace. Habits. Take some time this week to carefully consider God's commandments and each of their meanings from this chapter. You may want to consider one or two each day. Use this time to confess to God the ways you have broken these commandments and ask him for his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ.